0: The Mac Observers Mac Geek Gab number 216 for August 24th, 2009. (laughs) To the Mac observers, Mac Cab. I'm Dave Hamilton here in Durham, New Hampshire, and on the other end of the Skype line, though sounding like he's here, or you could be. It's John Braun in Fairfield, Connecticut. There he is. How are you, John? Not too bad. That's good. You know, I've had I,
1: adventures, I, but we want to get right to it. I
0: think. I I That's I. Right I
1: to the end of the show.
0: I wanted to talk about uh, the prepping of the show today because we. Uh, we're in Vermont this weekend and, and decided to stay over last night. And I said, to Lisa, I said, well, that's fine. But you know, I've got to do the show uh, Monday night. We, 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 got to, you know, try and have some semblance of schedule. And the rest of this week's crazy for me. I'm playing in Manchester, New Hampshire on uh, Wednesday night. And then Tewksbury mass on Friday. It's like, you know, we can't mess with this. And I said, so I got to prep the show on the way home in the car. So you got to drive. So she said, fine. So I fired up my Fi. And uh, I took about an hour and a half of our ride home and prepped the show. And for the most part, it was totally seamless. I sat in the front seat, it, not the not the driver's seat, of course. You know, she drove and uh, prepped the show. I was able to do research and look things up. I wanted to print the agenda because I like, a, like to have a printed copy of the agenda right here. And sure enough, I logged in over the VPN from the MyFi and printed two copies of the agenda because I thought Pete might be here, but uh, but he's not. I, th- I you know I think I, I uh I forgot, I, I forgot to tell Pete we were recording tonight. I sort of assumed it was assumed, but uh, mm. but he's not here. So
1: now you were driving through, so you were in Vermont and then and then what, New Hampshire, Mass, and then Connecticut. Or, or, your, your path
0: brought you to. To New Hampshire. We just we just went straight across the from Vermont to New Hampshire. It's almost a a lateral lateral drive. Okay. All right, you get good coverage up there. Uh you there were some spots where statistics. I had there were some yeah. spots where I had none, but that but that's okay. I mean, it you know, I don't need access while I'm prepping the show except if there's something I want to look up or or whatever, but yep. you know. Yeah. And then I uploaded it to the Dropbox and by the time I got home, my laptop was folded up. And uh, everything was good to go. I walked in, grabbed the show off the printer, and here we are. So, it's good. But lots has happened, John. So, earlier, uh, late last week, uh, Stephen Swift was we're, we're, we're making some some minor changes here at TMO. And one of the things that uh, we needed to do in preparation for some of those was uh, making some changes to the forums. And it came up that we needed to consolidate them, which we all wholeheartedly agreed with and uh, and steven swift had the idea of consolidating all the support forums into one and he called it the mac geek forum or mac geek squad forum i think and uh, we might have to change that name because there's that as i'm saying it i realize there's that whole you know confusion with uh with the the geek squad or whatever we're not them you know (laughs) (laughs) We're, we're better than that i think um and all our listeners are better than that so but the idea is whether we're better or not Uh, It's a place for us to hang out. It's a place for our listeners to hang out. And if somebody's got a question, not only can you and I answer it, but of course, all of our listeners who who are great at answering questions and always chiming in uh, can can visit right there. So uh, there'll be a link to that in the show notes. But of course, you can always just visit MacObserver.com and uh, and and click on the forums. And it's it's right there. Plain as day. We like I said, we've consolidated the forums down there. Much easier to navigate, much easier to see. So. We look I'm forward to seeing all of you there. Yeah, that should uh, be fun. I,
1: I posted a message, so I'm getting the ball rolling. I uh, saw. I'm all, I'm all for this. So, um, so, you know, Dave, today was a funny day because, you know, something happened um, on the net, which usually does not happen
0: on, I uh, it's Monday, yes? Correct. Today is Monday, or it was. It, it so is we saw partly... a, a
1: unusual event for a Monday, which is the Apple store was closed. Yeah, you know. Oh, my gosh. That never happens, on, or at least. Not often. It's usually Tuesdays, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's usually Tuesday. Um, but as soon as I saw it, you know, I saw these people on Twitter. They're like, "Oh, a new version of Aperture's coming, or a new I this saw that. or that." I'm like, duh! Don't you think it's going to be Snow Leopard? It seemed pretty obvious to me. But I, at least on Twitter, the people I was following were not speculating yeah. that it was Snow Leopard. It's like, it seems yeah, we know the same guy. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, but I know all the people that I follow were 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 okay, saying all sorts of different things. It was it was bizarre, yeah. But More um, too. but you know, but so oh, they uh, beat, but because to they to the did point, say oh, September, right? They said they were going to do it in September. That's the thing. That's right. And, and technically, <laughs> it's yes, August. It's, it's technically August. still not September. So big bonuses all around. Yeah, it's been a month early. Yeah, but you know, I I think there's some developers who are not. Uh, ready because they weren't planning on having to be ready, you know, uh, by August. So, so what we're talking about, of course, if you haven't heard the news already, Snow Leopard will arrive uh, for those people that pre-order, and and as of right now, you can still pre-order and get it to arrive on Friday, August twenty-eighth. That's this coming Friday. Um, um, and and I wanted to take a minute, you know, we're we're not really prepped for this either, uh, in so much as we haven't had a had a moment to sit and say, okay, let's put it all together, but. I have been using Snow Leopard, uh, as, as would be uh, presumed. I went to WWDC, so I got the builds, and I have been running it on one of my machines. And uh, it, I think it's important to talk about a couple of the, uh, of the things. Now, uh, what we're, ta- we're going to talk about here are things that you know have been reported out there but not confirmed. And it, even though I've been running it, I can't confirm any of it because who knows what's going to change between the latest build that I have and, and what's coming out. Um, but there there are a couple of things to to talk about uh in terms of whether or not you want to make this upgrade there's been a lot talked about John between thirty two bit and sixty four bit and there's a a big um, discussion about how snow leopard now supports sixty four bit here 's the thing though and there and there's quite a few articles out that you can read and we'll we'll try and find some and link to them. By default, Snow Leopard kernel. So the OS, the core part of the OS boots in 32 bit mode, not 64 bit mode. And there may or may not be some ways to change that. I don't again, we don't know about the release version, but uh, all the reports we've seen are that Snow Leopard is going to boot into 32 bit mode, uh, just like Leopard does. And I believe the reason for this is so that. Any extensions, any kernel extensions you're currently using will still function once you upgrade to Snow Leopard. Um, and, and I guess the downside is some efficiencies in memory management. Is that is that correct, John? I, um, I don't want to dive you, too far off. You know, the deep I'll end say,
1: I, right. So I don't know if I'm entirely comfortable with the way Apple defines 64-bit, because looking okay. at the product page, they define 64-bit pretty much in terms of addressable memory. Okay. And to me, that's only one aspect of 64-bit computing because you can talk addressable memory, which, you know, typically on a 32-bit machine, you get four gigabytes versus uh, 16 exabytes okay. under 64-bit. But but to me, it's also taking advantage of the registers um, in the processor that deal with data in 64-bit chunks versus 32-bit chunks. Um, uh-huh. That can also, depending on how you write your software, what you're trying to do, could potentially increase your performance. And that's the aspect I I, I don't see a lot. Uh, uh, the thing is, it gets very technical. So, you know, saying there's a clear, you know, benefit to using 64-bit architecture versus 32-bit, blah, blah, blah. I won't get into that. But, okay. um, uh, but Apple puts it in terms that are tangible, which is you can address way more memory and, and your processes can be aware of and deal with, uh, hopefully, you know, at the same time. <laughs> Performance
0: level. Okay, so here, I'm uh, going to confuse this conversation, though. So we have talked about the OS, the kernel, uh, is going to boot in 32-bit mode uh, as a default. There, there may be a way to change it, but for most of us, it, we won't. We're just going to you know, live with what Apple gives us. However, many apps, including most of the apps that are built into the OS, uh, r- run, will run in 64-bit mode on top of the 32-bit uh- kernel.
1: Okay, actually, I see this. Yes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm seeing this under the description now, now that okay. I'm reading it. They're calling them 64-bit applications, or what they're saying specifically is built-in apps like Finder, Mail, Safari, iCal are now built with 64-bit code. Okay, I was getting a bit behind myself or ahead of myself.
0: No, no, so, but you're right. There's, there's But the they're kernel. talking
1: 64-bit code and 64-bits addressable memory. So to me, those are two distinct uh. aspects of 64-bit computing.
0: So, an I'm app. Try not to confuse the two.
1: Because an app sometimes that is, Apple has been a little loose with their use of the term 64 bit.
0: Okay. So, an app that is compiled and running as 64 bit code running on a 32 bit kernel will still see some improvements potentially. Is that right, John? Because it's using 64 bit code?
2: Uh, I don't
1: know the kernel in depth, but. Well,
0: yeah. Okay. I'm going to
1: say if it's a 64 bit app and it uses 64 bit instructions and 64 bit code. I get to dig into exactly what they do by okay. 64-bit code, but it implies to me that they're taking advantage of instructions that are not available on a 32-bit processor. Got it. we we'll okay. I'm sure people will let me know. If, oh, yeah. No, if well, they differ, but to me, the way Apple presents it is, is a bit fuzzy.
0: Okay. So there's a couple of things that uh, that are interesting, um, and I want to talk about some specific apps here. Um because it it pertains to this thirty two versus sixty four bit thing. As I said, the reason I, the reason I believe that Apple is booting the kernel by default in thirty two bit mode is just in case you've got any kernel extensions that are only built for thirty two bit and therefore uh, wouldn't run in sixty four bit mode. And and you know my guess is okay, we'll get Snow Leopard out the door, maybe ten six two or ten six five uh will change that default and boot us into 64-bit mode at some point down the road but you know for now it's an you know it's it's only for the developers okay applications though as you said finder mail safari right those sorts of things uh and perhaps some other os components are going to run in uh 64-bit mode so if you have any application extensions those two need to be compiled in 64-bit mode and I'm going to talk about a couple that might be important to some of you uh mail acton and mail tags from indev.ca I don't know the name of the company I just know their URL uh, I know they're working on 64-bit versions of these things but if you live by them uh you want to check out their webpage as of today uh I don't believe I know I don't know about mail tags for certain I know that mail acton uh, which is a great piece of software and makes Mac OS X mail so much simpler because you can just use uh, keyboard shortcuts to do things like filing messages or really performing any rule action is how it works. Uh, but as of today, there is no publicly available 64 bit version, meaning it does not run in Snow Leopard. One password is the same way. Only functions currently under 32-bit. They are working on, and I believe if you're running Snow Leopard and running One Password, there might be a way to get a 64-bit version of the app. It may it may prompt you for that, um, but or uh, oh, actually no, there's not. You in order to do it, uh, it's only running in 32-bit mode. So you have to go and tell Safari only open in 32-bit mode, uh, and you can do that by going into the Finder, get info, and checking a box. That says open this in 32 bit mode. So you're you're limiting the instruction set available uh, based on what I'm hearing from you, John, but allowing these other extensions to work. A third one that's a big deal for me, menu meters. Now, menu meters hasn't been updated since 2005, but I'm going to tell you something. He posted a note last weekend. He is working on a 64 bit version of menu meters. It currently does not work under Snow Leopard, according to his reports, because system UI server, which is the thing that draws the menu bar at the top of the screen is running in 64 bit mode. Menu meters is not. Therefore, there's no menu meters in Snow Leopard. However, he says a public beta will be available very shortly after the release of Snow Leopard. So hopefully within the next week or so, we'll see, um, uh, you know, something that allows us to run menu meters in snow in, under Snow Leopard.
1: Yeah. Now, I saw a note here, just uh, it, about you the know, apps here. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, the rewrite is, uh, so system apps, uh, all except DVD player, front row grapher, and iTunes have been rewritten for 64-bit. And but the other thing is that it seems most of the things they rewrite, they're, they're rewriting to Cocoa, which I think was not necessarily the case with older things. So um,
0: That's right.
1: And I think uh, That's right. I'm thinking almost everything. Yeah, because Cocoa is their most modern API that they'd really prefer you use versus right. uh, other stuff. So, so yeah. I'm guessing that they tweak that.
0: You know, that would make sense. Sure, sure. That that's been severely tweaked for Snow Leopard. Yeah. Um. So it you know it's worth checking. Any apps you have, standalone apps, likely will run just fine in Snow Leopard. Ba- based on what I've seen, you know, if they're if they've been updated and are running in Leopard, uh. You know I haven't heard any reports uh you know of of critical meltdown uh where someone's tried to you know run an app in snow leopard and it just doesn't work but all these little hangers on right all the little extensions to apps that exist all need to be updated if the app is updated uh especially you know so anything for these apple apps it's important go and research this before you go and install snow leopard now the good news about snow leopard. Uh, is it does allow for all this sixty four bit stuff to happen there's a lot of other stuff under the hood that we've talked about before there's not a whole lot in in terms of cosmetics or user oriented features, but it opens the door for developers and because of that it's a really good thing if most mac users upgrade to snow leopard uh it you know it 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 kind of paves the way for for a lot of great things to come. And to do that, to 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 facilitate that paving of the way, uh, Apple has put Snow Leopard up for sale for 29 bucks. if you have Leopard. Uh, so you can buy the upgrade disc. Now, we have not seen this disc. We don't know if the upgrade disc is one of these things where it's like, yeah, I have Leopard. Go ahead and give me the upgrade disc. And, oh, oops, I installed it on my Tiger machine and it worked fine. That might happen. Or... It might say no, 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 no. You gotta have Leopard in order for Snow Leopard to install. But here's what I'm gonna tell you: When Snow Leopard installs, based on everything I've read, again, this all might change on Friday. Who knows what version they're gonna ship? But when Snow Leopard installs, it puts there is no upgrade. It is an archi- it, it is effectively an archive and install where it puts a whole new OS out there. And that deletes what was there before. Now, it doesn't delete data, doesn't delete your applications, but it replaces the OS. And I think in most cases, uh, because it's Intel only and perhaps for some other reasons, uh, it at the end of the process, your. Disk space will be you'll have more free disk space once you when you finish the upgrade from Leopard to Snow Leopard, that that that's that's what what I've heard. And and uh, but, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen on Friday, but I'm pretty sure that's. That that'll be consistent so uh it it in theory could certainly upgrade a tiger machine if it's simply going to replace what's out there if it doesn't need to inherit anything from from leopard but uh but of course, Apple might put a uh you know an artificial limitation in there to keep people yeah. from from doing that, but you said john you now you you stumbled onto the the way to get it if you are a tiger user uh there is another way to get snow leopard.
1: Yes, so we saw that and I saw our ex- excellent uh coverage today and I was wondering the same thing as Jeff. Um well, what if you're not upgrading from a prior version? And as far as I can tell, what Apple talked about, and you know, they kinda glossed over it, but some of us made a note of it, uh I think they have the Apple Box set, which is uh the latest OS, um iWork and iLife. All in one box for, uh, I forget the price, but it's basically you're getting the OS for free. You're just paying for the other other apps. And as far as I can tell, when I looked at the description, unlike the upgrade, which explicitly says this is an upgrade, you must use it to upgrade an older uh, uh, Leopard installation. The box set did not have that restriction. Not that I could see. Mm.
0: So. No, that's definitely true. Yeah, certainly uh, legally, Apple says that if you are running anything prior to Leopard, the box sets the only way to get a copy of Snow Leopard that, that you are licensed to run on on that machine. However, uh, we do not know if that also implies a technical limitation that Apple has put in place and we won't know that until Friday. When when I'm sure at least one of us will try this out. So.
1: I don't know. I'm I'm kinda hesitant, man. Well, one machine I can't, which is my G five, so maybe I should start loading data onto my G five. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> I have to tell my, you of course it's mm-hmm. been it's been smooth sailing uh on the machine that I put the WWDC build which um which has uh, been updated a couple times. It it uh it's been totally smooth sailing on that other than the lack of menu meters. That's really it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't know if I can accept that limitation. Mm.
0: <laughs> I I can appreciate that actually. That's <laughs> the first thing I've installed. I know. <laughs> you know what I'm really glad to see though is that uh the 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 folks or folk at Raging Menace is actually paying attention because he hasn't posted anything to that site in over three years. So I was very happy to see, you know, that, that when I checked earlier today, it was like, oh, hey, there's life here. You know, this is good. This is good. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's hope. That's good. Yeah. All right. Uh, are we ready to move on past this? Or is there anything else to with Snow Leopard to talk about? Let me check my, my notes here. No, no I think I'm I'm, good. I'm just going on. You
1: know, I can't wait to see uh and they may be out there well they shouldn't be but um i want to see some uh you know some uh performance comparisons and you and i may run some yeah you know
0: we'll start uh, running them uh, now what's this
1: whole 64 bit deal right. mean right uh, in practical terms Are you i i be, think you know, strapped in strapped to your seat and just amazed or it's like yeah
0: yeah i i and i don't know if this has anything to do with 32 versus 64 or if it's more of just the optimizations, you know, the rest of the optimizations under the hood, you know, Grand Central Dispatch mm-hmm. and all that other stuff that that you get along with with Snow Leopard. But on machines that are ram starved, Snow Leopard uh, it has reports and has seemed to be a whole lot more efficient. So if you know if you're running and when I say ram starved, really, I mean anything less than two gigs. Uh, you know, it just hmm. it not a whole lot on Mac OS 10 these days, especially if you're running a couple of apps. So if, with if, you on that. what's that?
1: I'm with you on that because my Dell, for example, I, I'm not pleased with my uh, Windows machine as of late because two is a barrier with with what I'm trying to do as of late.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if you if you're if you're a little ram starved, uh, you you may find Snow Leopard to be a little bit snappier and a little more efficient uh, on your machine. And who knows, those of us with, with more RAM, you know, even even if we've got four gigs, which is a, what I've got in my main machine there, uh, maybe that's, you know, maybe that's going to be faster, too. That I don't know. So, All right. Our first sponsor for this show is Audio Engine at AudioEngineUSA.com. They have lots of products. They started out with their big A5 speakers, but today I want to talk about the A2 speakers, which are... True desktop speakers. Uh, The A5 certainly fit on large desktops, but the A2s are built to fit on smaller desktops. Uh, They do look like the uh, little brother of the A5. They're uh, each individual enclosures, and they have two speakers per enclosure, one uh, woofer and one tweeter. And they have a little bass port along the bottom that helps them uh, enhance the low end and get even more low end. I've got these things set up over in the house and uh, I can turn these things on, play some music through them and really cover an entire floor with music very comfortably. The sound is very clean that comes out of these. Uh, it, the, like the A5s, these are engineered to play music that has been compressed. So they've gone through and built the sound signature of these speakers to really enhance those things that sound good out of MP3s and maybe hide some of the things that don't sound so good. They are available for one ninety nine. You can get them in all black or all white. They are self-powered speakers. So it means all you do is plug a cable from the speaker into the back of your Mac. The left speaker has the amplifier for both of them in it. You run a cable from the Mac to the left speaker and then from the left speaker to the right. And, of course, one from the left speaker to the wall to get juice to run the amplifiers. But, uh, but they are self-powered. Your Mac, you, you don't need a separate amplifier or anything. One ninety nine. You can get them in black or white. All at USA dot com. And with that, John, I think it's time to hear from Tim. Yes.
3: Hey, Matt Gab. This is uh, Tim in Charlotte, North Carolina. I got a question for you. Um, lately, I've been doing a lot of work in uh, in iWork, uh, basically putting together presentations or or putting together spreadsheets and and, and uh, page documents. And uh, basically, I, I work in a Windows environment, but I work out of my house, so I'm able to use my Mac when possible. And I find iWork to be a useful tool that gives me great results. Unfortunately, since I'm in a Windows environment, I have to save everything as PDF. And when I do that, um, it seems to look okay on my computer. But when I uh, transfer it over uh you know, email it or send it over, and someone's viewing it on a Windows machine, and we're using Windows XP in our corporation. Um, all the it, there's a lot of jaggies on the uh, on the fonts. On uh, nothing looks quite as good as it did on the Mac. Am I doing something wrong, or is this just uh, how Windows handles these kind of files? Uh, I'm looking forward to your answer. Thanks. Bye. All right, John. So uh, with a PDF file, it's my
0: understanding that the fonts are in the the fonts are embedded inside the document and then the text is there. And the PDF engine, whatever engine is displaying it, presumably on the Windows side, Acrobat, right, uh, is displaying the fonts and rendering them there. So in theory, you shouldn't get any jagged jagged edges on on the fonts. Is that is that your understanding too? I mean, that's that's not only is that my understanding. That's been my experience a hundred percent of the time with any PDFs I've created on any platform.
1: My question is whether, when you're outputting it from the program you're in, it's outputting it as graphics which look like text, or text as represented by fonts. Right. So in okay, and but, and you don't from what I've seen, a lot of programs don't give you that level of control. Now, one would assume. That if you're in a word processor, it's outputting things, uh, you know, with a font definition in the text and not a bitmap.
0: Yeah, we do this all the time here. In fact, I, I'll make um, some documents and pages. Pages has a great page layout portion, too. It's got the word processor half of it, I'll call it. And then it's got a page layout half. And I we actually use that a lot at BackBeat Media to make... Uh, Files for, you know, ad agencies or prospective advertisers that want to see, you know, screenshots of the sites or whatever. And we embed all this stuff in uh, a lot of times. I'll hand these over to Sean McAndrew, who's in New Jersey, and he runs on a Windows machine and uh, and then he'll, you know, he'll put them together with his proposal and send them out. Uh, and he always gets these things with great looking fonts. So I know that pages, if it has the font available will embed the font in the PDF like it's supposed to. Now, there, there's a couple of things to talk about. One is the way I... There are two ways to export PDFs from pages or or, or numbers, either, you know, any of the iWork apps there. Uh, one, and I think this is the best way, is to go to the file menu and choose export and then choose PDF from the option there and you can choose what quality you want the graphics. Now, I, this shouldn't affect the fonts because, again, it's embedding... Uh, the descriptors for the the fonts, the files for the fonts, so that it can build them properly on the other end. Uh, but you can tell it, look, embed the graphics at best quality. And and so I always do that because we're sending screenshots and I don't want them compressed down and, and looking like uh, looking like poop. So uh, I always choose best. But the other way to do it would be to go to the file menu and, and choose print and then choose save as PDF from the PDF menu, which appears in the lower left. Uh, I would certainly try both of these, Tim, and see which one yields better results. But, uh, but you know, John, as as we're going through this, one other thing comes to mind. It's possible that Tim is using a font that does not have uh, a a TrueType or or PostScript equivalent, and all it has is the bitmap font. Meaning, all uh, on Tim's Mac, all he's got are the descriptors that say put these dots here and not draw these outlines and if it doesn't have the outline font to embed well then it's not going to embed it and it's just going to treat it like a graphic which uh, which right. then would look jaggy on the other end I'm
1: with you on that so a possibility now you would expect now you know there are programs that I've used and I was surprised because I, I was expecting this on the Mac site but I have used programs when you do produce a PDF and I think it's probably mostly Adobe stuff where there's an option oh by the way embed all the fonts that are used in this document in the document itself and sometimes it results in massively huge documents um yeah. uh, if, if, because you you want to make absolutely if you want to make absolutely sure there are like you know adobe acrobat is something where you can get a fine level of control how you include the fonts right
0: right but here's what here's how i, I understood I
1: know what that. you're saying is if it's missing i think any font will back off to a mode where it's like you know, I don't have much, but at least I know what this looks like at a certain point size. So I'll I'll do my best, but Right. <laughs> prepare to be disappointed.
0: Yeah, that's right. Now, now to, to and 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 I hope someone will correct me if if I'm wrong here. My understanding of of that option in Acrobat when you when you can choose, you know, embed the whole font or whatever whatever that option is. I always understood that to mean, okay, look, if I've written the word test in Uh, in Helvetica, right? And that's the only Helvetica I've used in the document. Then all, uh, in in order to save space, all the uh, rendering engine is going to do, or the the PDF building engine, is going to put three characters worth of Helvetica outlines in that PDF, T, E, and S, right? And that's enough to recreate test at any font size. But if somebody wants to try and edit that PDF, and there are programs that will let you do this, and change test to hello... Well, all it's got is the e, right? It doesn't have h, l, or o. And and so it's going to, you know, not be able to render those. I always assumed, perhaps incorrectly, that checking that box that says embed the fonts in this document puts all of the glyphs for the outlines in Helvetica in there so that you could change it from test to hello and all of that comes along with the the PDF bundle. Now again, that I may be very wrong there, but that's how I always in, uh, interpreted it, and that there was no option to say never embed the glyphs, the you know the outlines in this uh, in this PDF. But I could be wrong. That could be, yeah. All right, uh, moving on to George. George writes, "What is it about my iPhone 3GS that prevents it from charging with accessories that charged it before as a original iPhone?" The, the cable is the same the dock connector is the same i have to believe the pinout is the same or is it different in my mercedes r350 not only does it not charge but it actually discharges the battery what's going on okay uh it's i've i've run into this cuz lisa had the original iphone and then uh and you know now she's got the 3g i had the 3g and now we've got the 3gs the 3g and but the, the connector, 3gs
1: go ahead i thought that now uh, from what i recall though dave the connector at least on almost every piece of Phone or iPod equipment is a supposed universal connector, and hopefully the last one is—is is that correct?
0: Yeah, that's right. There's a okay, the universal just, dock connector. That's just right. Just making sure. I think we've had that for a while, and hopefully we. Yep, <laughs> we'll always have that. Okay. No, thanks. it's an important to roll the iPhones in the iPods into this discussion. Years ago, and I can't remember exactly when it was, uh, but years ago, Apple changed from on the original iPod and perhaps the you know a couple of generations worth. The chargers that came with them were little wall warts that had a cable that was removable and one end would plug into the dock connector on the iPod and the other end would plug into the wall wart. Now, the original ones, the connector that plugged into the wall wart was Firewire and all of those iPods were charged over FireWire, meaning if you wanted to plug it into your Mac, you'd take that same FireWire cable and instead of plugging it into the wall wart for power, you'd plug it into your Mac and it would get both power and a data signal and you could sync and, and all of that good stuff. That changed when Apple uh, made the, the, the full move into the Windows realm and they, they finally gave up on FireWire for the iPods and went with USB. There were a couple versions of iPod. That worked fine being charged over USB, over USB, even though I'm sorry, worked fine being charged over FireWire, even though they were built USB. And then there came, I think, the fifth generation iPod that would not charge over FireWire anymore. It would only charge USB and Apple issued, uh, you know, they documented this where they said, look, you know, it might work, but we don't support it. The original iPhone is the same way it is. Charging over firewire is not supported. But it doesn't complain about it, and it will let you do it. The iPhone 3G and the iPhone 3GS will not let you do it, and it will put a little message up saying so. And that's exactly what George is seeing when he plugs it into his car. So I have to assume that the car is acting like a firewire charger and not a USB charger. And that's my, that's my thought on that, John. Mm-hmm. And, and And I don't think there's any... Any solution there other than, I mean, in the car, I think you're you're hosed. I think you've got to, you know, get get a get one that plugs into your cigarette lighter, but make sure it acts like Mm -hmm. USB. I have a bunch of old uh, cigarette lighter style chargers for iPods uh, that won't work with my iPhone because they all act like firewire, even though there's not actually a firewire port on any of them. But, you know, I I think I think the pinouts are different, John. They have to be. Otherwise, the iPod couldn't possibly know. Right. Hmm. or just the ones they use or don't use that's what i mean yeah 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 all the 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 same pins are there but they're using different ones exactly yeah yeah
1: Yeah. i'm imagining a whole you know underground movement of people that are trying to re-enable functionality which was taken
0: away yeah well actually you know what i'm glad you said that because i remember now there's a company out there um that sells a little adapter and it's it's a tiny little size of the dock connector adapter and you plug the firewire dock connector into it. And it's supposed to reroute the pins <laughs> so that it appears like a USB one on the other end. And gosh, for the life of me, I can't remember firewire dock to USB adapter. Why can't I remember this? It's Griffin. Griffin at least makes one of them. Hmm. Yep. Oh, and weebatech That's the one I knew about. And I talked to them about this. Uh yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so uh, we'll put a link to the Griffin one in there, and then uh, I know I talked to the folks at Weebitech about this, and uh, I'll give you both nice. of these links, John. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, I just wished for it. Hmm? Yeah, you wished. Oh, maybe no, maybe this thing I'm finding here isn't what I thought. No, no. I know that Weebitech had something like this, though. Definitely one from Griffin. But I know I I'm, I swear I remember talking to the uh to the Tech folks about this too. Yeah. All right. What should we but, talk about? All right. Ready to move on? But that's the answer for you, George. Are yeah. you ready, John? Uh, yeah. You're I sure wanted to talk
1: about how you could, you know, get in touch with us. You do? Why on earth would you
0: want to do that?
1: Well, because we usually forget it until the end, at <laughs> which point people usually hit the stop button. So. That's right. All right, tell them how to get in touch with us, Sean. Um I, I would say one way and uh, probably the most popular is to call us because we love those audio comments, whether they be from the telephone or other means. But on the telephone you can dial
0: 206-666Geek, which for the Alpha Challenge is 4335. Or if you want to also send us an audio comment and you've got an iPhone, it's actually really easy. You use that voice memo app or an iPod touch if you've got the microphone with it. And uh you email that audio comment to feedback at MacGeekCab.com. Now, if you can't speak, you don't want to speak or you don't have the capability to record your speech, you can write text in that field too there and, and email it to us at feedback at MacGeekCab.com. I think you said feedback at com. You know what? That's exactly what I said.
1: <laughs> oh, and the, what else? Oh, we have the new like...
0: forum. Right. You can. Oh, you can, of course. You can talk yeah, to not just is. us, but everybody there. I encourage you all to check that out. It, it, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think I think we're going to it's going to take a little time to, to you know, uh, get get its own identity. But uh, but I think we're going to make this a great place. I, I really I, I really do. I think it's going to be it's going to add a whole new dyna- dynamic to the show. So. uh, yep. You can Skype us at Mac Gab and uh but that's as far as audio quality goes it's the worst cuz Skype's outbound audio quality stinks mm-hmm. and it's and what that when you Skype us to Mac Geekab it actually calls the 206-666-geek number on our dime instead of yours uh and and allows you to record and if that's the only way to do it we're happy to it's not you know we're happy to pay the money it's 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 not very much so you know we're happy to do it but um but it you know the audio quality on that is about the worst that you'll ever hear on on the show so I send that warning along, and iTunes comments, right, John?
1: Yeah, I haven't been there lately. I was just going to say but it's been about a week or
0: two since I've checked
1: them out. Yeah, but they're usually very, uh, very honest, and uh...
0: yeah, it's a good thing.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, where, how,
0: how are we doing on time here? Ooh, all right, doing? we got to yeah. uh, we we got to move here. They're jump. I think we need to make the jump. Before we make the jump, uh, I do want to talk about our second sponsor for the show, which is Coco Tech. And, uh, Coco tech makes pathfinder. Now pathfinder is really, it's built to be a replacement for Apple's finder and you can set it to launch on startup and even quit out of Apple's finder and even make it so that the desktop that you see is a pathfinder desktop and not the finder so that you you can interact with this thing, interact with your Mac almost the same way, but with quite a bit of enhanced functionality. Uh, One of the things I I found as soon as I started up Pathfinder is it allows for tabs, right? So instead of having multiple Finder windows open, which, of course, you can have with Pathfinder, you can have a bunch of tabs in one window and just move between them. Uh, Very handy if you've got, you know, a couple of things going on and you don't want to litter your your computer with windows. You also have a thing (laughs) called a drop stack. What you can do is instead of, if you want to copy a file or move a file uh, from one place on your computer to another, right now, the way I do it is, or with the Finder anyway, before Pathfinder, the way I would do it, is I'd open up two windows, one with the place I'm going to start, one with the place I'm going to end. And I'd take the file and I'd drag it from one to the other. Now, with Pathfinder, what I do is I have one window open, I drag it to this thing called the drop stack, and it just sits there. Now, I could drag four files to the drop stack, and it is a stack. They will stack up on top of each other. And then I navigate to where I want the uh, most recent one I drag to the stack to go, and I drag it off the stack. And then the next one will be there. And I navigate to where I want that one to go, and I drag it off the stack. And again and again and again until I get nothing left in the stack, and then the stack goes away. Very, very handy feature. Uh, You can have a... You can like I said, you can have tabs, but you can also have two different views in one window. So if you did want to copy a bunch of files back and forth, and you didn't want to use the drop stack, you could create two views, open up two different windows, uh, sorry, two different panes of the same window, and move files around or drag them back and forth. It's got a bookmarks bar, kind of like Safari, where you can have your favorite places along the top and just tap it or drag something to it. All this is available. In Pathfinder from Cocotech at Cocotech.com, it's 39.95 to, to buy it. Of course, there's a 30-day free trial. Uh, 20 bucks if you own a prior version and want to upgrade to this one for uh, and I believe it's, we're up to Pathfinder 5 now uh, 20 bucks to upgrade or 1995 to upgrade, and uh, if you do this, I believe soon, uh, although perhaps the upgrade pricing is over now i don't know I'm, I'm sorry about that uh you can check it all out at cocotech.com, dot com and it is pathfinder 5 i'm looking here looking here purchase mm, can't find anything about the upgrade so i must have screwed that up my apologies there is no upgrade pricing left but you do get to try before you buy and uh oh no i got it ah okay when you decide to buy an upgrade is 1995 a new license is 3995 if you had bought it after july 1st then the upgrade is free uh but uh but the upgrade is 1995 if you have a previous version so now i've got it right again pathfinder 5 from cocotech at cocotech.com very very cool program kind of takes all of the cool things that we like about all our all our favorite apple branded you know mac programs and ties them together into the Finder. Uh, very handy and uh, worth checking out. Like I said, you can check it out. 30-day trial for free. Pathfinder 5, Cocotech.com. All right, John. Now, we need to jump around here. We're at the 30, probably 40-something minute mark now, right? 41-minute mm-hmm. mark now. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about... Should we talk about these DVDs? I think we can do that. Let's do that. Uh, Okay, so we'll go to, uh, I think it's Mr. X or someone along those lines.
4: Hey guys, um, in the process of troubleshooting my sister's white Macbook, um, I went into the disk utility and uh, clicked on verify disk. Um, You know, spat out some red error message uh, saying how the disk needed to be repaired. Um, I understand that you can't repair the disk when you are booted from said disk, so I went ahead and put in the Leopard install disc in, in her optical drive. Um, at which point it started making lots of strange noises and uh, spat out the disc without without a... Uh, like I, I couldn't successfully boot from the disc because I think the optical drive is, uh, has a problem with it too. So given these two dilemmas, uh, what is my next option or do i have any options or is it just time to tell her she needs a new machine um i'd appreciate any help here guys i seem to have run into this problem more than once now so uh thanks again love the show bye
0: all right john let's let's talk about this one we have two questions that are similar uh in terms of of optical drives here Let's let's talk about this one and for the moment, assume that the drive itself is not bad. Oh,
1: right. Good, because I, I actually, as I was listening to this, I was leaning towards. A marginal drive,
0: but really it may not be. It, well, it's, it, it, it could be right. I mean, there's there, there's no question about that. But let's let's talk about what else it could be. um and and to me, the first step to to look at is okay. Well, did we properly tell the computer to boot from this disc? Just because we inserted the disc, uh, in most cases, means the computer's not necessarily going to boot from from the, Ooh, the DVD, right? I good mean, point, it, of course, how do you do that? Yeah, well, so so let's go there, right?
1: Well, I'd say the first one uh, I believe it's uh, on most machines, uh, portables and the desktop. But you hold down.
0: Option. Actually, actually, you can skip option and just go to the next key that you were going to hold down. Oh, 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 I see where you're going with this. Yeah, oh, keep going, keep going. I see where you're going. I saying,
1: option booting a machine will show you all of the bootable devices. and You can explicitly pick it. I think you were going in a different direction.
0: I, I was going
1: to, but you, you can you can take us there, too. That's fine. Well, I was starting from the beginning, so that's, that's yeah. the very first place that the Mac says, hey, what, what am I supposed to talk to? Now, of course, you can also go... System Preferences Startup Disk and make sure that what you think is the startup disk is being selected, because as I think you're suggesting, Dave, it may not be seeing that disk in the proper context.
0: Well, yeah, if you if you have gone into System Preferences Startup Disk and set your internal hard drive to boot your Mac and then you connect four other Firewire drives and put a CD in there or a DVD in there, uh, all of which are bootable, it's still going to boot. From your internal hard drive, because you have gone out of your way to tell it yeah don 't mess with those other things. boot from this one, trust me that 's what I want, uh, and that 's a good thing because it keeps your Mac from getting very confused. However, uh, you may want it to boot from the external disk and uh, and holding down option is a great way because, like you said, John, that shows you all of the available options, and you can you know you can be darn sure about what you 're picking there. Uh, the other way to do it with after you put the CD in or a DVD in is hold down the C key. And that and you have to do it as soon as a computer starts up or as soon as it restarts. Uh, hold down the C key and that will force it to boot from the CD. Right. So I, I think we've ex- explored all those options. Is there anything else that's going to make sure we're at least trying to boot from the optical drive? And
1: I'm going to see would default to the built in unless there's an external.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. But I think it'll boot from either. Uh, yeah, that's right.
1: Okay. Okay. no, I think that goes for the, uh, you know, pretty much, you know, the keyboard jockey uh, options there.
0: Okay. so then number two is we may have a disc that won't boot this computer, right? Drive's fine. The computer says, I get you. I understand you want me to boot from this disc. But, hey, I can't. Right. How can that be? (laughs) Uh, There's a couple of uh, there's a couple of things going on here. Right. One could be as simple as a damaged disc. Right, if that disc is scratched, it's not going to boot from it. Oh, no.
1: and and you and I have been through a lot of disc scratching. So I've done done Redbox lately. You
0: do Netflix. Yep, <sighs> dude, let's not go there. That's going to depress me. <laughs> a thousand unicorns die and cry, <laughs> an untimely death every time I've had a Netflix movie I've, is I've scratched buffed
1: out or gotten rid of the scratches. And the only thing you have to remember for any sort of optical media that's circular is clean from the inside out not in a circular pattern because you'll re-scratch it yes because that will create a groove that the error correction cannot recover from so always start on the inside go to the
0: outside or the outside to the inside whatever but right 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 yeah move move along the radius not around the circumference
1: Now, i can't i can't remember the last time i've had to clean the lens on my dvd drive i mean i could imagine could that be why all uh, all
0: your your red box movies (laughs) skip
1: No. Okay. Good. Because I I use my Sony. I bought a right, right, right. No, I you know El Cheapo at Walmart. Right. Some Sony DVD player. Which you know, I was tempted the other day. They had something uh, on Woot or something. It was a ninety-nine dollar Blu-ray player. I was so tempted because to me that's that's a price point I want to see because I think I paid like fifty bucks for my DVD player. Right.
0: I'll I'll pay a hundred bucks for a a Blu-ray player. Yeah, but not 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 three hundred, not five hundred. No. All right. Uh so it could be that the disk is unreadable, right? It could also be that the disk is perfectly readable but not able to start that Mac because it doesn't have the right software on it. Uh just because Really? Yeah, it'll just rudely spit it out like that? I th- well, you know, that's the thing is <laughs> it, machines are are all different beasts. I I'm not I, I haven't seen my computer spit a disk out when it won't boot from it, but I have had discs, you know, and a great example is like the the disc that you get from from Alsoft for Disc Warrior or from uh, ProSoft for Drive Genius. They, you know, they they sell you a disc that will boot your Mac. But if you get a Mac that comes out after the disc is made, chances are that disc won't have the software on it that's required to boot that Mac. Uh, so, and this also happens with Apple discs. If you have a, you know, a series of Apple discs that are built before that Mac comes out, chances are they aren't going to boot it either. So you need to have a disc that is known to boot your Mac. Um, and that would be the best thing of course, would be the system software that came with it. Um, so that, you know, I think those are all of our options for why the disc might not boot short of it being a damaged drive, which we're going to talk about with the next question with Jeff. I had. The, or should we wait for Jeff? Are we talking about damage drive? If we're talking about damage drive, we might as well wait for Jeff and consolidate the conversation. Uh, but I did it have was one more of a th-
1: software thing.
0: Okay, yeah, then go. All right. No, the thing I mentioned, and yeah, I think this is
1: more appropriate in this uh, conversation. But no, I had, as you may recall, a while ago, I got a Lexar, a really cool little flash drive, and it came with some software that would install uh, or would enable, uh, you know, some good encryption. Uh, on the flash drive, which that's a good thing. If you lose your flash drive and the person doesn't have the password, the the, the data is scrambled. They can't get it. Unfortunately, it in, it installed a kernel extension or a .kext file, I think, which you usually find in your library or buried somewhere there. What happened is once that was installed, although it dealt well with the dealing with the flash drive as far as encryption and all that, all of a sudden on that computer i could no longer run video dvds it would just be like "Yep, i don't know what this is man it was like unrecognizable eject like what like i'm sure this mac has a dvd drive yeah right (laughs) but it would never even get to the point of launching dvd player because it didn't think there was a valid dvd disc once i uninstalled this kernel extension everything went back so what i'm suggesting is that if you've installed any security or encryption Uh, especially disk encryption software, whether it be on a flash drive or some sort of security software that does disk scanning or especially encrypts the disk. I I wouldn't necessarily blame Apple stuff. I think that's well tested, but I've run into this and it was totally bizarre, but once I removed
0: it, everything worked great. So. All right. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll say maybe because it, it, I can. See, it was
1: specific to DVD, video DVDs. So, so. It,
0: well, and yeah. I could, I could see it getting in the way of of any DVDs, but not in booting. Right. I mean, it, if if you're trying to boot from another DVD, it's not loading software from one of the hard drives.
1: It. It. it I would say it. it May not have yet gotten to loading that driver, right? Okay. I'm right. with you Because that driver is a
0: kernel extension, right? So
1: you've got to okay. load. So that was kind of a tangent.
0: Yeah, but no, things. but a good, a good thing to a good thing to consider, especially if you're having trouble just reading it while the while the machine is up, you don't want to assume that the drive is just bad. Um, you know, and it, it, it is worth, huh. okay, yeah, but, but, you know, it, it, for booting, uh, you know, that's kind of a, uh, I don't know. Okay. That's I mean, stretch, kind of a stretch. Yeah. 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 All right. Okay, but no, Jeff, before we move on to Jeff, I do want to give mm. our first caller uh, who shall remain nameless because he didn't give us his name. Uh, the answer here, if you're in that position and you need to fix your drive and for whatever reason you can't boot from anything, but the drive you need to fix boot up while holding down the command key. And S for single user mode that will put a whole bunch of text based Unix gobbledygook on the screen and then leave you at a prompt where your cursor is in front of a hash mark, a a pound sign. Above that, above where your cursor is, it's going to tell you type F S C K space dash F Y space slash. Don't worry about remembering it, because, as I said, it's going to tell you type that. Press enter. It will fix your drive. It will run essentially the same thing as disk utility. uh, But and yes, it's running it from the drive that you're booted from. But because you're catching it so early in the boot process in single user mode, it can fix the drive without that. And that's the important thing to note. If you're traveling or somehow other stuck in a place where you cannot boot from anything but the one drive in your Mac and you need to do a disk repair on it you can try doing an FSCK from single-user mode. Command-S. And with that, we move on to Jeff.
2: Hey, John and Dave. This is Jeff from New York. Uh, I have an interesting problem with a friend's Mac G5. Uh, All of a sudden, their optical drive, DVD drive, stopped reading both burned and manufactured CDs and DVDs. Um, I replaced it. Same problem. I hooked up an external drive. Same problem. Um, System information does show it, but uh, nothing, no optical drive seems to work. So maybe you have some insight on this. I'd appreciate it. And uh, hope to hear from you on the show. Thanks.
0: All right. So uh, you want to kick this one off here, John? No. All right. Great. Well, I could. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) Clearance.
1: No, what machine was this in again?
0: Uh you want to play it again? I'll start again. I'll
2: just the hey, John and Dave. This is Jeff from New York. I have an interesting problem with a friend's Mac G five.
0: There
1: you go. Huh. And now it sees no DVD drives.
0: Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. So, you know, could it be software? You know, he could
3: try you know, all the that's things. That's why I had
0: my answer for the last question. <laughs> yeah,
1: here the, this hints at something's clobbering. I, he, I mean, the- one thing would be: does it see it at any level? Correct. Um, I, I would run, uh, you know, about this Mac System Profiler. Does it even see the drive? You usually see under whatever bus it is on that G5. Um, I don't know if it's USB or whatever, or set, you know, the ATA bus or whatever. But in the System Profiler. Uh, Number one, do you even see something describing itself as a DVD drive or CD drive? Right. Um, Though I kind of lean away from that because he's saying that he's plugging in external drives and it's not seeing those either. Maybe it's not seeing them in a different way. But uh, so one thing is just, you know, is is the
0: internal drive kind of on its way out? Right. All right. So uh, number two would be the the thing you suggested with the the prior question. Hold down the option key on boot with a bootable DVD Mm -hmm. in there. And and see if it appears it, you know, is this a, 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 because that's going to speak to you about, you know, the what the system sees, not uh, not what it sees via the OS that might or might not, as, as you said, you know, be mucking things up. Right. That that's the other way. Beyond that, if it doesn't see it there, uh, you know, I would I would do a PRAM reset, com, hold, which is hold down command and option. And then P and R, all four of them together, while the computer reboots. You hear the startup chime, you keep them down, and then you'll hear the startup chime again. Uh, and that resets a lot, of, so a lot of yeah, a lot of low level stuff in the in the computer, and I've had that bring back you know missing firewire ports and things like that in the past. So that certainly could be happening here. Um, there's also in the G5s, I think there's the the CUDA button, which is the red button on the motherboard that's worth hitting. Yeah, uh, touch the red button, yeah, t- yeah, the red button. it's shiny <laughs> um, candy like <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> tastes like sugar um yeah i would reset that and uh and then you know short of that if th- if those don't work it sounds like it would be a bad controller on the motherboard right i mean what's if it's not the dvd drive because two of them don't work uh, unless you've got two bad drives, which is, you know, statistically less likely, but certainly possible, uh, then it's what's, you know, what's one past one step past that in the chain. And that would be either the cable, right? If you're using the same cable, it could be the cable damaged uh, or the controller on the motherboard that the cable plugs into, in which case, you know, you're going straight back to Apple, um, you know, and if that's mm-hmm. the case, I would do an external Firewire DVD drive or something.
1: Yeah, I mean another thing. Sometimes you may want to, uh, if you haven't touched on this, try a different port or a different technology port. You right. Know, your USB bus could be horked. So. Yeah, that's right. That's so, right. You know, if you do have a FireWire four hundred, eight hundred, get an adapter. Just just try that out, just to, to eliminate. You know, it's a, it's all it's all being methodical. Get a nice checklist, or you can just thrash about and try different <laughs> things, and
0: sometimes that works too. I found. It, yeah, it can. It can. Remember, it will always be the last thing you try, though.
1: <laughs> Unless you're methodical, in which case.
0: Well, no, it's always going to be the last thing. Why would you keep trying to solve the problem if you've already fixed it? Mm-hmm. Right? No, that's just my thought. All right. Uh, I do want to get to some of these follow-ups from last show, and uh, and this certainly is Mr. X.
2: Um, two things of note regarding pulling a red-hot notebook out of your bag. Uh, the one thing I, I finally figured out that was causing that to happen to me was that I was failing to turn off my Bluetooth mouse when I stuck it in my bag. And therefore, every time the bag got jostled, the sensor detected motion, and that woke up the computer. So uh, I, you can go into power management and tell it you don't want Bluetooth to uh, wake the machine from sleep is one option, and the other one is to always make sure you turn off your Bluetooth mouse. If, if you're bringing it with you, uh, just wanted to bring that up. Thanks. Bye.
0: Thank you. And actually, that's it, a that's a great that's a great tip. Uh, you know, it, because if your machine is sitting on the desk and you click the mouse button or tap the keyboard, uh, it will wake it up. And again, Bluetooth can wake up the machine. You can go. It's actually not in your power management in Leopard. It's in System Preferences Bluetooth Advanced and then allow Bluetooth devices to wake this computer so that you want to make sure that box is unchecked. If you are uh, potentially susceptible to this issue, because I had the red hot Mac thing happen. I had the, my Mac out this weekend, we were uh, streaming Netflix movies to the TV. And so I left it out under the machine under the TV and it, uh, it, the TV wasn't sitting on top of it. It was, you know, on a shelf under the TV, John, of course. And, uh, but I, I had, uh, it, the machine had the battery had run down. And so I plugged it in under there. And for some reason, it didn't actually shut down. Uh, and, you know, I checked it four hours later and the thing was, you know, cooking. Thankfully, it wasn't in my bag. It was sitting on the shelf. So it had some mm-hmm. ventilation. But, yeah, it's 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 not good when it does that. I get they say it's OK. They say you can run your machine in you know, closed lid mode or whatever. But it doesn't feel good after you do that. So oh, I, don't,
1: I would don't think it. most machines and I've seen this on my Dell when it yeah. has been in the hot bag. Um, when you restart the machine, it'll say something like, you know, thermal failure. <laughs> oh, really? n- I I've never had, had, had that. say that. Yeah. It's like thermal failure, press whatever to continue. And it's like, yeah,
0: right. I've seen the iPhone do that. And what's funny is, oh, yes, what's funny is you can take a screenshot of that right with the built in, you know, hold down the, the, the home button and tap the top button on the iPhone. You can take a screenshot when the iPhone says I'm too hot to do anything It's like, um, but you're on, so... Hmm.
1: Well, what I thought was cool is I never knew about, because I don't have an iPhone, just an iPod Touch, but it'll have uh, a thing, a slider on the bottom that I basically think says uh, how to call 911. Or That's what right. to do in an emergency. That's right. Because someone took a screenshot and I'm like, yeah. you no, know, that looks Portuguese. What? Huh? Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess it rotates the languages for that, which to me seems actually kind of silly. But... All
0: right. we are We are running... Uh, long here. I don't know if we can, can, eh. we can, it, it's, it, it, I want to address this and, and get past it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and play Scott Barman's comments to lead into this. This is referring to our, our initial discussion last week about secure virtual memory. And then I think we can wrap this up pretty quickly here. Uh, that's yes. my intention because we we had a long jam on this to start the last show and and we're going to wrap it up here with uh with this one. Hi,
2: John and Dave. This is Scott in DC. Um, the security person who's going to wag his finger at you guys for trying to pretend to be security pros without a license. Wag away. Um. Well, well, I don't have a license, I do do this stuff for a living. So let's answer some of your questions from number 215. The standard, the government standard is FIPS, which stands for Federal Information Processing Standard 140-2, what they are looking at for the Mac, Mac VM and Secure VM is to be able to achieve Level 3 under uh, 140-2, which mm-hmm. for those who are involved with something called common criteria and, and all the other ISOs and, well, common criteria is not an ISO standard but for also the ISO standard is what they call the Evaluation Assurance Level, EAL Level 3.
0: He's getting now somewhere this here, goes folks. back
2: to the old days of the Rainbow Series from our friends in the NSA. No friends. The Red Book, the Orange Book, excuse me.
0: To, to be clear, John, and he is getting somewhere here. I, I want to let him uh, continue because we're, we're going to talk about secure virtual memory now, and then, and then we'll stop. Because he's very long-winded with his comments, but they're very detailed. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I wanted to stop here. It's important to note, we have no friends in the NSA
2: was talking about something that was called Object Reuse. Object Reuse is how to deal with memory and virtual memory once you no longer need, need it. Max Secure VM, and we've looked at how this works. There's two things. One, when you use, um, when you use an object, in this case a page of virtual memory, when it's secured, it will, one of the things it will do is it will recover that object at the end by basically writing zeros into that memory area. And, and what it will do is it will swap that zero page back out to virtual memory to to zero out the memory area. The other thing that it does is it does on-the-fly encryption. Um, Leave and I don't have my notes in front of me, that it's using AES128, that is 128-bit encryption on AES, which I think is the lowest level right now allowed, although the government is trying to push everybody to use um, or at least NIST, is, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, is trying to push everybody to use 256 because they believe 128 may be compromised within the next few years.
0: All right, I think that's that's uh that that gets us there. So, Scott and, and I I conversed with Scott via Twitter today and you can go and and look at the trail out there, but um there there are, he says there are two things being done. Apple only talks about one of them in all the documentation documentation that we found John, and that is definitely it encrypts the virtual memory files there's no question about this uh, in fact, the command line that is run uh the the setting that is set when when you check the secure virtual memory b- box is uh, defaults write uh comm dot apple virtual memory use encrypted swap yes or dash bool, yes mm. uh so you know no question that it's doing encryption I think he's right about the AES one twenty eight oh, yeah, sure he but, uh, uh, it, Uh, And then and then you go. Uh, He and his lab has confirmed and Apple has not announced this. There's nothing else that I found. uh, But but he's very I I believe him. He and his lab has confirmed that Apple is doing the first thing that he said, which is when a page of memory is released, if that page has been written out to swap, it will go to swap and flash that with zeros so that 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 data no longer exists, even though it's been encrypted. It's now gone. So th- those those two things, and I believe him on the second one, and, and Apple has confirmed the first. So that that's I think that's enough on the details of this. But John, you said you had something else. So,
1: well, just one thing else. I say the the Apple documentation is partially correct. Now I'm looking at to my two machines here, and I think it may be virtue of my upgrading my machines because I looked at my machine at work. Okay, my two machines have the description that I was going on about in the last show, where it said. Um, Erase any information from RAM written to by the heart. And you remember that it was Mm -hmm. just a poorly worded sentence. Yep. On my Intel Mac running the same version of OS X at work, the description clearly said encryption as part of what secure virtual memory is doing.
0: Isn't that so, interesting? But
1: what I think is weird is that the other description, I think, was in a sense, and I think I was kind of hovering around this, though not being very specific, but but there there's something beyond just encryption happening, and I think that's basically what we we found
0: here. Right, or what Scott, yeah, what Scott found in his is lab. That at
1: the very least, it's zeroing out memory, which shouldn't be a big deal, but if it's doing any additional disk activity beyond encryption, that's where you're going to see a hit. So I, I think that's a reasonable conclusion to wrap up why this would happen
0: okay and and it is important when talking about security now be it this type of security or virus protection or anything like that it, it's important to make the distinction and, and there have been uh, people much smarter than ourselves and much more eloquent than ourselves uh, who have gone through this online but it's important to make the distinction between security and safety Right. You know, and and in, in our pre-show discussion, John, you were talking about the you know, we, we were both talking about, you know, what do we do? Do we lock our doors? And and one of us tends to lock our doors all the time and one of us never locks our doors. Now, neither one of us have ever been broken into in our current homes. And that's that's a good thing. So we both employ different levels of security and yet have the same level of safety. And and it's because of your environments, right? It's why Windows machines have way more security typically than Mac machines, right? I mean, eons more, but they're less safe because they're prone to all these attacks. People for whatever reason, and we're not going to go through the reasons, but it is important to not, in my opinion, to not get overly hung up on the security aspect and really focus on, okay, what's what level of safety do I want to achieve now? I'm not a government agency. There are reasons why large, large organizations, be they the government or private companies will say, look, you need to institute a minimum level of this security procedure. And that way they ensure, you know, a level of safety, uh, even though in some instances you know, that level of security might be overkill. You know, if you've got a computer buried deep inside the Pentagon and you've got to go through, you know, it's not plugged into the Internet and you've got to go through uh, six secure doors and, uh, you know, 15 guards to get there, you probably don't even need to put a password on it. Right. You know, I mean, it, that computer is safe because it has different types of security around it. Right. And and so it's important to to make that distinction that, that that's kind of where, where I wanted to I'm- wrap this up. And I'm with
1: you. Is it how they rate? Yeah, systems is. Yeah, you got to keep in mind the environment you're in. I I, I think you're right. If, that's it. If you're it. in a military or you know a, you know secret installation, then a lot of that's already built into what you got to do every day. You know, from showing your ID to you know punching into a room or something like that. Right. Whereas if you're just in a corporate environment or or you know an educational environment well those i think are are, uh ripe for exploitation it uh,
0: can be that's right but you're
1: right like do i as an individual which pretty much has my laptop with me all the time well at least when i'm traveling otherwise it's at home but you know if somebody got a hold of it would it really matter if my uh you know uh, if they read your email was encrypted right (laughs) right right that's Whereas right. Whereas if they have the machine itself, then that's probably game over already. I mean, yes, they'd have to crack my password or brute force it. But uh, right. I, I think that's what you're saying. It's a, you got to put it all in context. Yeah. Don't, don't get too worried about, you know, so, some of the more esoteric parts of uh, security. I think is what you're saying.
0: For, for the record, I did some testing this week just to see how secure virtual memory worked and all that. And then I went to all my machines and I turned it off on all of them. Because I figured I I figured, you know, I'm probably not seeing that much of a performance hit, but it certainly is doing something. And now we know it's encrypting on the way down and, of course, on the way back up. Right. And and it's rewriting all this stuff out. And maybe that's going to slow it down if I'm also in a situation where I'm, you know, ram starved or something. So is that a good reprise on that? Are we uh, do we wrap that one up? Yeah, well we're gonna link uh,
1: we're gonna link because Apple has a very nice manual that goes into detail and it's the Leopard Security Configuration Guide, second edition. Right. Which actually that explicitly points out in addition to the latest help what all this is about. And it actually looks like a great guide if you are you know, if, if you don't have a lot else to do with your time and <laughs> you wanna <laughs> learn about uh, and I don't know, I'm, I'm actually going to read through it because I'm interested in the, the, the little nuances of the security. But it goes into a, a pretty good level of detail about um, how these things work. Uh, like, for example, the command line hint. Uh, they actually printed out... The heck? Out. That's not very good. did you keep the band out? Uh, I guess so. Did they quit? <laughs> I'm not sure. I hope I the that's... economy's not... Uh... <laughs> you are keeping the band, aren't
0: you? <laughs> uh, I got nothing. Uh-oh huh yeah that's not good you know my big concern is that the drobo went offline mm. but uh no it seems okay well go with it man uh, are we still saving we to possible? the? yeah we're we still saving to the drobo drobo we're all right there <laughs> <laughs> well we're still live here or, uh? Uh, no it's memorex we're good right. uh I'm, I'm gonna try this again <laughs> this is very interesting john Hey, there it is. <laughs> uh, we'll never wow. know. We'll never know what happened, but it sure was fun while it lasted. Uh, Blog World Expo, October fifteenth through seventeenth. John and I are going. John found some of the flight. most expensive flights known to man. What? <laughs> you see, are you, are you kidding something. me? It was like five hundred bucks, wasn't it? No, that was last time. I think it was this time too. No, I just saw you, you sent me your itinerary. It was not. It was. It was under five hundred. Yeah, it was like four fifty. No, okay. Come on, no, those are expensive. I, I'm just saying. I mean, maybe that's what it is, you know. But don't oh, I? I, uh,
1: I saw other people tweeting, and they, they paid more. So maybe, yeah, yeah. Maybe, it was less and, than and last it. year. Come on, man. <laughs> what do you want from me? I'm, just... I'm, I'm I'm
0: showing fiscal responsibility by spending less than you. <laughs> no it's good it's 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 fine I just I was surprised to see it you know with the with the state of the economy with it because uh, well, we get the state
1: what? of booking two months ahead and uh, that's the best deal I can get yeah well there you go
0: um uh, that is October 15th through 17th. So book soon so that you, uh, you don't get gouged on flights. And you can keep yourself from getting uh, uh, gouged anywhere else because you get 20% off. Not that their prices are high, but you can beat their prices by 20% at Blog World Expo using the code Observer VIP to sign up for and purchase your passes to Blog World Expo. So John and I will definitely be there. And uh, we might have somebody else from TMO there. There's a lot going on in October, so we're kind of spread a little thin. Uh, iPhone Alley is the home of Michael Johnston and his podcast. Great podcast over there. And he also converts this to AAC, although he didn't get last week's done. There was some... Issues he had uh, transmission. I think the the BitTorrent program was causing all sorts of network problems with the router yeah. at his office. Yeah, uh, Cashfly.com provides all the bandwidth to get the podcast to you. The podcast marketplace includes Audio Engine's A2 desktop speakers, Barebone Software's BB Edit, Smile on My Mac's disc label, and announced today, Text Expander Touch. Uh, notebook from Circus Ponies and Pathfinder 5 from Coco Tech, along with Warranty Hero from Nodhead Software all through the BackBeat Media Podcast Network. It's been a long day. I woke up in Vermont. I already told you that story. Let's get out of here. Yep.